Welcome to Lost in the Movies, Twin Peaks Cinema Edition. This is kicking off a series that will eventually become its own podcast, standalone on here, in which I look at uh, different films and their relationship to the show Twin Peaks. So sometimes this will be due to subject or style. A lot of times it'll be elements that are referenced in the show or influenced the show or maybe were influenced by it. But sometimes it's going to be the creators involved. And that's the case with this. I'm looking at four films by Twin Peaks episode directors. So people who directed episodes in season one, not named David Lynch uh, or Mark Frost, the co-creator. These films are Halloween Town by Dwayne Dunham, Zelly and Me by Tina Rathborn, Now and Then by Leslie Linka-Gladder, and The Escape Artist by Caleb Deschanel. And keep in mind, there will be spoilers for all of Twin Peaks in this discussion, and there will be more of these as uh, the months go by. So if you enjoy this, you can hear some of those in advance by becoming a patron. Uh, For a dollar a month, you can access my older episodes, uh, including the January 2020 uh, edition where I covered all of the episode directors, a film by each of them. So these are film capsules. I talk about them for usually somewhere around like three to six or seven minutes, uh, depending on the film, and kind of give my thoughts on them, uh, describe what they are, and and then go into their Twin Peaks uh, relationship. I'd love to hear from listeners who have seen these films themselves and what they think of them. Uh, Some of these I had to track down with some difficulty to find. Others were pretty widely available, Uh, but they're all from different eras, early 80s, to late 90s for the most part and uh, it was interesting to see how these some of these that are such worlds apart from the woodsy world of Twin Peaks uh, related to these films so I look forward to discussing that on here and and hearing your thoughts as well during this time that I'm uh, releasing this I've actually well I've been working on a video for my journey through Twin Peaks series which covers some of these same topics that focuses on Twin Peaks original series collaborators, people who were a big part of making the series what it was on ABC in the 90s, but did not come back for uh, season three on Showtime. And that includes these episode directors. Probably a lot more of the chapter focuses on the writers, Harley Payton and Robert Engels, but I do also include clips from all of these films I'm discussing, so you can actually see some of the connections that I'm talking about here, which should be fun. And uh, that is going to be coming out within hopefully a week or two of me releasing this episode. So I'm working on it as fast as I can. I've been wanting to work on it all summer and I just hadn't gotten to it, but there's a post up on my site now committing to moving forward on this and I'll be updating it with my progress on that video. So keep your eyes peeled on my YouTube channel or my site and uh, you should soon see that announced hopefully by the end of September. So some illustration for what you're listening to here. Okay, here is my coverage of four films by Twin Peaks episode directors. Tonight at 8, 7 central, it's Halloween Town. Marnie Cromwell's family can't be normal. Why? Because her grandmother's a witch. Totally. And she lives in Halloween Town, where it's Halloween all the time. Halloween is cool. Well, battling an evil shadow creature is just not normal. Normal and vastly overrated. Find out more about Marnie Cromwell's family's vastly strange powers. Powers? What powers? It's Disney Channel's original movie, Halloween Town. 
tonight at 8, 7 central, only on Disney Channel. This film is going to be familiar to the younger millennials among the listeners, people probably born in like late 80s to mid 90s or so. This film, Halloween Town, aired in 1998 on the Disney Channel. I was probably a little old for it, so I didn't see it until now watching it for this series. But this is hugely popular among people who are like that target demographic at that time. I was more present for the earlier Dwayne Dunham film, Homeward Bound. So this film, Halloween Town, was directed by Dwayne Dunham, who directed the first regular episode of uh, Twin Peaks, in which uh, Cooper's going around the town talking to different witnesses or, or people who knew Laura, nobody was an actual witness, and getting to know the town. And uh, he was the editor for David Lynch for uh, several years before Twin Peaks and ended up coming back and editing season three. But in between, he did a lot of directing. And episode one was his first opportunity to direct. And after that, he ended up doing quite a few children's films, including Little Giants, Homeward Bound, and this film, Halloween Town. So the film is about this family of a single mother and three kids, including a daughter who loves Halloween but isn't allowed to celebrate it. The mother doesn't want them celebrating Halloween. It turns out it's because, uh, you know, witchery runs in the family and she doesn't want, she wants them to have a normal life. But the grandmother, uh, played by Debbie Reynolds, is a witch and she comes to visit and the kids end up sort of stowing away on her bus back to the mystical land of Halloween Town and discovering this place where all these characters walk around with big monster heads. This is like very early in the CGI era, so there's not much CGI in the film. Most of it is puppetry, um, animatronics, and like just people in big masks, which is kind of fun. So it's got the a cool look to it in that sense that I think is much more endearing and uh, memorable than if they had all just been computer animated. Adventures happen in the town. There's a character named Caliban who's the mayor of the town that they have to end up fighting because he's put some evil curse on it. It's a very 90s film. Uh, the daughter of Debbie Reynolds, the mother character, is actually uh, April from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I realized when I was looking up the uh, the background of this. And also has a very like 90s, particularly 90s sense of domesticity for some reason that reminded me of Mrs. Doubtfire. And I think that might be because there's three kids. So ditto for the other Dwayne Dunham film that I mentioned, Homeward Bound. You know, they have this sort of three kid dynamic where there's the youngest sister, the middle brother and the older sister. It's like a teenager. And they have that bickering family uh, dynamic between them for some reason. I don't know why that was such a 90s thing. But. It starts off pretty wobbly. There it felt like the, the there was a lot of like overdubbing or something, but it becomes quite charming when they go to the Halloween town. Like I said, I just really enjoyed seeing all of these all of these costumes and masks and stuff where they're not trying to make it realistic so much as just colorful life-size cartoons. Uh, which I enjoyed, the real Disneyland feel to it. And that brings us to Twin Peaks in a way because I've often talked about how uh, Twin Peaks has that, you know, when they film on a soundstage in Van Nuys, it has that kind of Disneyland feel. And it's worth noting, Dwayne Dunham was the first director to shoot on those sets and to orient the actors and the crew to making Twin Peaks in this make-believe place. And as far as the exteriors go, this was shot in a Pacific Northwest small town. It takes place in, I, I believe it takes place in either Oregon or Washington State as well and was definitely shot up there. 
So you have that environment present there too. And throughout this movie, you're going and visiting little pockets of the community. They have to go to the dentist, to the sauna. They've got to, they spend time in the grandmother's kitchen. They go to the movie theater and they're just exploring this little town, which uh, brings us to Twin Peaks and particularly Dwayne Dunham's episode where that's kind of Cooper's job is he's, he landed in the town in the previous episode. He got acquainted with the murder mystery. Now he's visiting the diner. He's, checking out the Packard sawmill. He's getting used to his environment in the hotel and meeting people, getting to know Audrey and all this other stuff. So it seems really uh, suitable that Dwayne Dunham directed that and then went on to direct this intro into this world of Halloween Town, which then there went on to be several sequels. I'm not sure if he directed uh, those. I think he might have directed one, but not all of them. I also think it's worth uh, mentioning that Halloween Town, it's not just a quirky community with eccentric townsfolk, but it's at the crosshairs of a supernatural threshold, which of course is very Twin Peaks in season two. And Dwayne Dunham did direct some season two episodes as well, including ones that have heavy doses of the mythology in them. Episode 18 is the first to bring up the Black Lodge, and episode 25 is where they go to Owl Cave for the first time, and Wyndham Earl is incorporated into the mythos. And twin the idea of Twin Peaks as itself being on this threshold between the worlds is brought very much to the fore in those later Dwayne Dunham episodes. Owl Cave, for example, is a location with that big logo stuck out on the wall, Indiana Jones style. That feels very Halloween town. Uh, there's even like a sort of a can't remember if it's a cavern or some sort of structure in the middle of the town square in Halloween Town that the character has to go into to save the town. So very, very much uh, reminiscent there. And I did notice one crossover crew member in the credits, Scott Cameron, loyal Lynch acolyte who worked on Halloween Town and on Twin Peaks at some point in uh, season three. Sorry, I'm late. It's this. I'm leaving. What happened? She washed waddles in ammonia. What? But she treats her like a dog. What have you got in this? She tries to humiliate her and break her so she can train her. It's just awful. Poor Phoebe. Oh. Where are you going? I don't know. You ought to take Phoebe with you. I should. Shouldn't I? I'll be put in jail for kidnappings. Zelly and Me is one of the most interesting Twin Peaks connections. It's directed by Tina Rathborn, who directed uh, two episodes of Twin Peaks, starting with episode three, the funeral episode for Laura Palmer, but also episode 17, the wake episode for Leland Palmer, where the show kind of shoots off in a different direction that she always talked about being uncomfortable with, even as she was shooting it. Uh, Tina Rathborn was one of the, in fact, maybe the only person up to Twin Peaks to have directed David Lynch on screen. David Lynch appears in Zelly and Me as a young man, apparently a wealthy young man with a nice estate in, uh, I think it's Virginia, where the film takes place, um, somewhere in the South, North Carolina, maybe. And uh, he is dating or secretly seeing this character, um, Zelly, played by Isabella Rossellini, who, of course, was Lynch's real-life girlfriend, uh, part of why he was cast in this. And she is the nanny of the main character in this film, Phoebe, played by Alexandra Jones, a little girl who lives with her grandmother, Coco, played by Glynis Johns. 
And uh, the grandmother is alternately affectionate and cruel. She can be very disciplinarian and really abusive at times. And Phoebe is very, very close to Zelly. And so David Lynch's character comes in and out. He's not like a main character in the film. He's definitely a supporting character, but an important one. And in the end, you find out, spoiler alert, skip ahead 10 seconds if you don't want to know, that he is not actually the owner of the estate. He's a servant there, and he's been posing as the master while the master was away. Uh, And so that obviously, that comes out in the end and kind of changes things. It's a crucial plot point, actually. So the similarities that I was able to see here with this film and Tina Rathborn's episodes are attentions with an awkward but well-meaning guardian. In this case, it's the grandmother in her Twin Peaks episode, it's Major Briggs trying to speak to Bobby and just not being able to communicate to his son in that scene where Bobby's running his hand over the lighter, which also is something that happens in Zelly and Me. The character plays with matches. She's obsessed with Joan of Arc, the little girl, and at one point she burns herself the way you see Bobby running his hand through the flame. So that feels like one of the most direct uh, callbacks to her own work that she put in that episode. And also those characters, both Bobby and Phoebe, the little girl, Bobby Briggs in Twin Peaks and Phoebe and Zelly and me, are telling truth to power. Uh, they refuse to just listen to what the authority figures tell them. You have Bobby, of course, ranting at the funeral about Laura, and you all killed her and accusing them. And I think you really see Tina Rathborn's presence in that moment, that kind of sympathy with a young, struggling, romanticized, tragic youth that that's the way she sees Bobby. And it's interesting how Bobby shows up very differently in different direct when different directors work with him, even if the same person's writing the script. I think different directors bring out different qualities. Now, the funeral's worth noting because it's a ceremony where something goes very wrong. A lot of things go very wrong, actually. Leland leaps on the casket. Bobby yells. James and him get in a fight. And there's a ceremony in this film where they marry the two uh, stuffed animals of, uh, of the little girl, of Phoebe, and there's this whole ceremony, and the servants are there, and one of the servants makes a little bed for the stuffed animals, and I guess the grandmother thinks this is, like, inappropriate, and so she fires him. <laughs> like, it's a very dramatic reaction, and everything just unravels from that point on in the movie. You can see in this film that Rathborn focuses on characters and the moments between them. She lets the feelings blossom and dictate everything rather than getting too hung up on mechanical aspects of filmmaking it's it's much feels much more intuitive and I quite liked the film I thought it it worked really well I think it got mixed reviews at the time but I found it pretty effective um there's a lot of soft-spoken romantic exchanges in a dining establishment in both the her Twin Peaks episodes and uh in Zelly and Me and Zelly and Me it's with Lynch and Rossellini Bobby and Phoebe as I said they both literally play with fire we have Nadine's figurines that, there, that there's that long tracking shot of in uh, episode three, a lot like Phoebe's toys that sit up on the shelf, and we get often surveying shots of those as well. Uh, she Rathborn loves to focus on scenes of tenderness between the characters. We have Jacoby comforting Johnny, like Zelly comforts Phoebe. We have uh, the impact of Laura on Jacoby feels similar to the Zelly-Phoebe relationship um, in the sense that you know he talks about how she made him live again, and I think you see that with both Zelly and Phoebe. Like, Zelly feels like caring for this little girl as, as a nanny or a governess has really 
allowed her to blossom in a way, and Phoebe as well is able to come out of her shell with this this caretaker. The voiceover of Hawk's speech near the end of episode three, where he's talking about souls wandering free of the bodies after death, uh, is very reminiscent of Zelly's off-screen narration about Joan of Arc that we hear over shots of Phoebe at times. And then we have Nadine acting like Phoebe at the Leland's Wake, where Nadine's acting like a little girl and she's looking at her shoes and playfully asking Ed questions and stuff, sort of reminiscent of the Phoebe character, the little girl in this. And Phoebe's recovery at the end of Zelly and Me uh, reminds me of Sarah making peace with everything in episode 17, where Phoebe goes through this trauma and then she comes out and she's able to put herself together. I think uh, it works more effectively here, actually, than with Sarah Palmer, but a similar idea at work. And again, that's something that's in the script. Tina Rathbone did not write the script, but for whatever reason, either coincidence or because she knew how to bring out certain qualities in the material, you see that similarity there. Truth or dare? Truth. Are you happy? Am I happy? That's a good question. I'm just realizing that I've spent my entire adult life trying to recapture the way I felt the summer of 1970. Hey, Kenny, where's the fire? Softball game, Kendall's field. It's going to be all points. So what are we waiting for? That was the summer when everything started to change. Leslie Linka Gladder directed episodes 5, 10, 13, and 23 of uh, Twin Peaks. More episodes than any other individual director other than David Lynch. And uh, you, you can see some similarities with quite a few of those episodes with this, but I think primarily uh, episode five, where they go and visit the log lady, and also episode 10, where there's some drama surrounding Laura's friends that I think you see a little reflected in this as well. That said, both episode 13 with the one-armed man uh, coming forth as Mike, and episode 23 with Josie getting sucked away and pulled into the drawer pull have elements of a haunting a ghostly supernatural haunting to them which now and then also plays with as well now and then came out in 1995 it's the story of four girls as uh teen you know pre-teen young teens in uh 1970 and then 25 years later as now 30 something women who are reuniting and looking back at the past and at their lives in the present and how the that particular summer really impacted them so it's kind of a flashback structure and that part that aspect of it is really hyped both in the title and in the poster and promotional material where you have like Demi Moore and Rosie O'Donnell and Melanie Griffith Rita Wilson as the adults and then Thor Birch Christina Ricci and uh, Gabby Hoffman and I'm trying to remember who the other actress is I think she wasn't quite as well known as the other um, child stars that are in this because most of them were, you know, Christina Ricci was in Adam's Family and everything like that. The other actress is Ashley Aston Moore. And so all of these actresses are put together in the poster and it's like a now, you know, look at the present, look at the past type of thing. But in fact, most of it is set in the past. Most of it takes place in 1970. It's a sort of nostalgic coming of age film. And so what are the connections to Twin Peaks? Well, first of all, there's these scenes set in a cemetery, very memorably directed by Leslie Linka-Gladder. And her episode of Twin Peaks, she has Donna speaking to Laura's grave. And uh, in this, you have the characters trying to communicate with this little boy who died uh, in 1945. 
and seeing his his tombstone there and trying to figure out how he died much of the movie is actually motivated as a murder mystery in a way or not exactly a murder mystery because they don't know if he was murdered but he died mysteriously and they feel like they're encouraged by a seance that they have to find out how he died so this is their version of who killed laura palmer and they're traveling around the town to investigate the mystery talking to different people looking things up in the library so there's a real investigation going on throughout this movie in a small town setting so again you have that kind of common thread that seems to tie a lot of these films together you also have friends keeping secrets from each other um, they have one of the characters' parents are getting divorced. She doesn't want to tell anyone else. And you have this similar dynamic with the teenagers in Twin Peaks. And I think a lot of the Gladder episodes have scenes, memorable scenes with the teens, with Maddie and James and Donna, um, where they're trying to navigate these complications of the adult world and filter it through their own coming of age. So that's a very strong connection between her work on the show and her work in this film. There are also meetings with mysterious or eccentric old ladies, or not old ladies, um, women, one of them's actually really young, uh, in their houses. So in Twin Peaks, you have that with the log lady. Leslie Linka Gladder directs the episode where they go to the log lady's cabin, they sit down and they have tea with her as she tells them what she heard about the mystery. And in this, you have Janine Garofalo as a witchy waitress from the uh, diner that they all go to. There's another connection. They all eat at a diner in town. But they go to Janine Garofalo, and she reads, like, tarot cards to them. And they also go to visit the grandmother and of one of the characters and try to find out what she knows, and she serves them all lemonade. And they have to sit by politely and wait for her to patiently reach the point where she'll tell them what they want to know, and then she doesn't. So nice little log lady meeting connections there as well. There's also a scene where Christina Ricci is getting upset, and she smashes a mirror tosses it over much like James knocking over the lamp in that scene where Donna discovers him kissing Maddie so neat little connections there I think the main ones are really just a murder mystery uh, unfolding in a small town and a uh, and 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 also this idea of the friend these young friends coming of age and struggling with uh, you know the the world around them trying to find comfort in each other but also being drawn away from each other in a way because this is the summer where they were closest these characters were closest together but also where they started to drift apart uh, and it's worth noting as one last note this film now so this film was released in 1995 uh, the characters are having a 25-year reunion in the film from 1970 and the characters in 1970 are trying to find out what happened to this boy in i think it's the year 1945 so there's all these 25-year increments going on, including if you're looking at it from the present. So if you watched Now and Then in the mid-90s and you were the same age as the young girls, you are now the same age as the adult characters that uh, show up in the present day in that movie. So <laughs> mull on that for a second. Hi. We're having a banquet. Grab a lobster. I want a job. I see did you spend all the other money already? I told you the truth. Well, what kind of a job do you think you can do for me? I can do anything. Vernon! The Escape Artist is one of the earliest films I'm discussing here. It came out in 1982. And it belongs in some ways to the new Hollywood era that ended a couple years before that. 
Uh, it's a quiet, meditative film, slow moving, much more of a character study than plot driven or certainly than, you know, an action driven type film. And I think you notice that a lot of the Twin Peaks directors have made films like this. They're able to find a place in the margins, usually in the studio system of the 80s before the indie movement really, really got going and carve out a place to make to make movies that could then lead them into the world of Twin Peaks in some way. Uh, these are the often the types of people that they selected to work on these episodes. So Deschanel was a cinematographer, a very accomplished cinematographer, shot The Black Stallion, among other films, many other films. And he directed a few, a few movies uh, throughout his career, mostly uh, on the earlier end. I think in later years he focused more on cinematography again, as well as doing some TV directing. But his film directing uh, in this era in the 80s was... Few few and far between, but memorable. So this is a film about a little boy whose father was a Houdini-like escape artist and who died uh, while trying to escape from prison. And so he bounces around between different family members and tries to start his own career as an escape artist in this city. And there's a bit of a fairy tale quality about it. There's a, it's a very, very Hal Ashby-feeling movie. And I guess that's not surprising in a way because Deschanel did shoot being there for Hal Ashby. So he himself may be partly responsible for some of the things we think of as Hal Ashby qualities, um, even though being there was later in Hal Ashby's career. But still, that visual palette that has uh, then gone on to influence later generations of filmmakers. Soft, mellow, pastel, or pale colors and quiet breathing room to everything, to every scene and every interaction. The episodes that Deschanel directed of Twin Peaks were uh, 6, 15, and 19. So he directed all of the scenes of Audrey and Cooper's room, which is interesting, the scene where uh, Cooper has to talk her out of wanting to sleep with him in episode 6, and then the scene where... Uh, she comes into his room at night and asks him if he arrested her father and is he guilty and all of that before he has to go off and find Maddie's body. And then finally, their final real scene together where she comes into his room and kisses him after giving him the evidence and, and meeting Diane, Denise in the room. So that's an interesting thing. All of those scenes have a, a quiet, kind of delicate softness to them that you see in Deschanel's work. They epitomize that and you see that very much in this film. I think. I was wondering even what city it took place in, because it seems almost kind of like a mythic Depression-era city that you can't quite pin down, but it was shot in Cleveland, which is interesting. Not somewhere that I feel like they shoot that many films. And uh, it's hard to say even when exactly it takes place. I think it does take place in the 30s, but like they never quite pinpoint it. Um, the plot, what plot there is, revolves around this big wig in the city i can't remember if he's the mayor or not and his his ne'er-do-well son who's played by raul julia and a wonderful performance the whole cast is just really great uh, raul julia is a standout but also uh, the young actor who plays the main character he's ryan o'neill's son griffin o'neill he's much older than he looks he looks about 11 or 12 in the film but i think he was actually 16 or 17 when it was when it came out uh, it was released a couple years after it was shot so that's partly it but it, yes actually i'm looking at the cast list now it, it is a mayor who raul julia is the son of and the mayor is played by desi arnaz uh, terry gar is raul julia's girlfriend she's wonderful she always is in what's a small part uh, joan hackett 
uh, M. Emmett Walsh, Jackie Coogan, the old child star showing up as a magic shop owner. There's just so many wonderful little bits in this movie. So there's a real flavor and energy to it that uh, you see quite a bit, I think, in 70s films where they're looking back to like the 30s or 40s pre-war or in the war era that that there's kind of a nostalgia for alongside the nostalgia that's there for the more recent 50s uh, you get this more earlier 20th century nostalgia as far as the connections to twin peaks go uh, even just the idea of an escape artist is resonant with deschanel's work there where you have uh, philip gerard jumping out the window of the Great Northern getting away from the, the, the people following him. You have Audrey hiding inside the uh, closet, smoking cigarettes, and looking out at the uh, other characters and somehow not being caught, you know, that kind of defiance that's there. So you actually have, in the particular Deschanel-directed episodes, moments that evoke that earlier film. There's also a sweetness to the adult-adolescent relationships here. Obviously, in Twin Peaks, that has a parallel with the Audrey-Cooper relationship, um, which also has a danger to it that Cooper recognizes, a line that he doesn't want to cross. And you see that, in a way, in The Escape Artist, too, where Raoul Julia at times is very threatening towards the, the boy, almost seeming like he's going to kill him when he's mad. So there's that dangerous line between adolescence and adulthood that gets played out in both the show and the film, I think. And in a mar much more farcical uh goofy way you have a similar dynamic to the Raul Julia uh, Griffin O'Neill characters uh, in in Escape Artist you have that with uh, little Nicky and Dick Tremaine in the episode that uh, Caleb Deschanel directs of Twin Peaks where uh, Nicky almost kills Dick and then Dick wonders if he's the devil so that's like the the sort of broadest Nickelodeon version of the Escape Artist relationship I suppose. I think, in general, just thinking of the mood that this film evokes and that Deschanel's mood in Twin or episodes in Twin Peaks evokes, Louise Dombrowski dancing of the hook rug on a flashlight just kind of sums up the whole Deschanel aesthetic, I think. That's the end of this chapter, but as I noted, the rest of these episode directors, uh, including uh, a more lengthy episode on uh, Tim Hunter who directed the film River's Edge, which has some huge uh, connections to Twin Peaks, to the point where I thought I should give that one its own full standalone review. All of those can be found on my Patreon, and there'll be a link below in the show notes that you can follow to look at all the films I've covered uh, for, this, uh, for, for this patron podcast, which is the iceberg beneath the water surface of, of this podcast. I will eventually be re releasing those uh, publicly, but uh, probably not for months in some cases, uh, five or six months before I'm going to put up the uh, next episode director one, although the River's Edge one will probably come out before the end of the year. So that's what you can expect. I'm also going to be returning to the Ethan Hawke's theme that's going on throughout this fall with the sci-fi film Gattaca. So you can hear my thoughts on uh, that film, which has, uh, I think, influenced a lot of discussion about uh, genetics and cloning and subjects like that. Should be interesting to listen to. And please, if you like that film, write in ahead of time on the episode itself for that. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe on uh, iTunes. Thank you for listening, and here's a little taste of Gattaca to take you through into October. A minute drop of blood saliva or a single hair 
determines where you can work, who you should marry, what you're capable of achieving.